Okay, let's uh, let's talk about your wicked and deceitful heart. Or, let's start it this way. Let's talk about the wicked and deceitful heart of man. Uh, I don't want to single anyone out or make anyone feel like I'm singling them out. This is actually more of a, a general, general one. Uh, like, anyways, we'll get into it. So recently, and I'm going to go a lot more off script now, I feel it. I don't know. I don't like freeform as much. I mean, I do, but I don't. So let's just do it this way. Uh, recently, I've been finding myself getting into more and more conversations with others about the Bible at work, at home, uh, at church, just, I mean, with my father-in-law, mother-in-law, with coworkers. Uh, and it's it's usually about what we understand, about what we, what we believe, how the Bible is truly the Word of God. And I'm having these conversations with Christians and non-Christians alike. Um, Non-Christians would be mostly of the co-workers. There's a few in there that actually do. Um, but I really don't get into depth with them, which is kind of strange, but I mean, it, it is the way it is. And then with family is where I get into more depth uh, as far as doctrine goes and belief systems. Um, the phrase that I hear a lot though when I'm having these conversations is, I know that, I mean, it's 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 in reference to other people or it's in reference to things or um, I don't even know how to say it, but the phrase comes up somehow in conversations it leads up to someone saying, I know they have a good heart or God knows my heart or something along those lines. Um, and then a little bit of backstory as to why I'm even bringing this up. So during my part-time job, and I'm putting that in air quotes, of listening to sermons and I actually put this in one of my podcasts as to why I called it a, pod a part-time job. I don't remember the title of it, but either way. Um, well, it was basically, I was working like 16-hour shifts, and all I could really do was listen to sermons. At least that's what I decided to do. And during that time, um, I heard a preacher by the name of Jason Cooley, and he was talking about the wickedness of man's heart. And he brought up the same points that I'm going to talk about in this article. So I guess you can give him the credit for this article, but... Either way, let's get into those verses that I want to bring up to the forefront of the post. So we're going to start with uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. It says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Uh, so Jesus is speaking to Ma speaking in Matthew to the Pharisees about their actions and how their actions are determined by the imaginations of their hearts. And in the book of Luke, Jesus is speaking to a crowd in the Sermon on the Mount, where he drives a point home. Uh, and the point is that the carnal heart of man is truly evil. But the cure for the evil heart is outlined in Psalms 119, verse 11, where it says this. It says, Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. The psalmist, is, the psalmist is saying here, since he doesn't want to sin against God, or, I guess I really typed that up weird. I'll just say it this way. The psalmist is saying here that he doesn't want to sin against God. Therefore, he has hidden the word of God in his heart. And the word hid in the verse has the meaning to store away. But the psalmist is speaking from a position of belief in the Lord. So what about the hearts of non-believers? And I'd like to say something, since some people may get the wrong idea, just because you're now a believer, and actually I, I'm going to go a little bit off script here just because I really want to focus on it. Um, this is actually focused towards a group of people who think that uh, as soon as you become a believer, you become sin-free. So let's actually get in here. Um, where was it? Uh, some people say that just because you're a believer, it means that you're sin-free, but 
it doesn't mean that your carnal heart isn't still full of evil desires. It just means that now you get convicted by the Holy Spirit of God so that you're chastened every time you do have an evil desire enter into your heart. There's people, uh, what was it called? Um, perfectionism is basically what they believe that as soon as you become a Christian, you're basically perfect. And like, I get it, your soul is because you have a new soul given unto you. You're now a new creature. I get that. But you still are trapped in this carnal body and this carnal body still has its desires. So it's it's not like you're not going to have the desires, if nothing else. Let's just say that for now so we can find some sort of happy medium. Your carnal heart still is full of evil desires. So let's just move on past that one. It's just something that I wanted to bring out there. Um, but back to the question. What about the hearts of those who don't put their faith in the one true God? Jeremiah has an answer for us, but for the people who don't put their faith in the one true God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the verse is, well, that verse is contrasting with verse 7 in Jeremiah 17, where the author says that the person who trusts in the Lord is blessed. It also precedes the notion in verse 10 of God searching the heart of man and trying the reins. That's actually a quote from the verse. And then it goes on to say that it, um, that God, dis well, I'll say it this way. Uh, there's a notion in verse 10 of God searching the heart of man and trying the reins and distributing what is meat according to the fruit. And I got to say, I love it. Love it when the Bible says things about bearing fruit, because for the longest time, I actually thought the word fruit was synonymous with the word action. Um, but it really isn't. So when you think of the word action or one's actions, you think of an immediate act someone performs, such as telling a lie or stealing something. But the word fruit, in the context that is placed, has a different meaning. And so it carries a definition of what your actions will eventually lead up to. You see, this is because um, a fruit is the end result of planting a seed. And when a seed is planted, there are a lot of other things at play before the seed actually eventually grows into a tree, then sprouts branches, and then awaits until harvest time um, uh, to bring forth a timely fruit. And then there's a parable of the seed and the sower where we find out that there are other things that can get in the way of a seed growing into a fruit-bearing tree. So I had a... Um, Excuse me, I had a job a little while ago as a alarm system installed technician, and one of the mottos or phrases or, or ways that the company lived by, I don't know what they called it, I guess it was a motto or um, a slogan, something. The way that they conducted business was a specific phrase. It says, take responsibility for your results right now that's a different way of saying take responsibility for your actions because taking responsibility for your actions is pretty easy but because you can say well I did this and I did this and the rest of it was out of my control right like to say hey I installed the sensor and it was fine when I was there and when I left it was out of my control now that's really the way you you, you look at most things in life especially in a job like that but in that culture and the way that they wanted to run their business, it was more like, hey, there are outside forces that can get in the way of you doing a good job. You shouldn't have to answer for that, but you should if you want to work here. In other words, some things are going to get in the way sometimes, but that doesn't mean that you should be pulled away from doing a good job. That doesn't mean that you should be um, held back from doing a good job. You should still do the good job because you can, you just need to actually work at it and like they said take responsibility for the results because life isn't fair a lot of the times things are going to happen that are out of your control 
And that's kind of like how this is. I, I like to use that analogy in, or that, um, that, that mind place, that remembrance, that memory when I'm reading this, this portion of scripture. And I know it sounds kind of weird to say it that way, but if you think about it, right, where it says God is trying the reins of distributing what is meat according to the fruit, well, if your fruit are your actions as well as results playing into it, well, then your results are how well did you plant that seed? And yeah, you, I'm thinking a lot on this, but let's say this way. You're, you, you plant a seed, right? And you want it to grow. Well, you have to water it. So let's say the seed you're planting is just putting a little bit of scripture in someone's mind. Well, you also have to follow up with asking the person what they thought of it, right? Let's just say that, right? Say, what do you think about this verse? And then you follow up later with maybe another verse, maybe another portion of scripture, maybe inviting them to church, maybe telling them, hey, listen to this quick audio clip I found. This is a video of this preacher that I uh, listened to as well. You, know, you continue to water that seed, you know, until it grows. That's more of an idea of following up. So that way, like in the parable of the seed and the sower, as soon as it was planted, the birds came and ate up the seed, right? It's, it's, there's gonna be people that try and come in and take away the work that you've put into it. So if you take responsibility for your results and you try, you actually continue in that, in helping someone. I feel like that's where you're getting what's, what is meat according to the actual fruit that you should be putting into something. Uh, but let's get back into it. So, uh, verse 10, the one that I'm referencing to a lot, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So the Lord says, he will give every man according to his works and according to the fruit of his doings. To me, the phrase fruit of his doings brings back the notion of the seed being planted and the planter continuing to nurture the seed until it's firmly grounded with its roots spread out and never ceasing to bring forth fruit. So I believe that the heart of man is incredibly wicked, and I believe it's something that is inherent in all human beings from childbirth. I might even go as far as to say that it's genetic. I also believe the only way to purge your heart of the wickedness is to let into your heart the only one who can hand out enough grace or hand out grace at all in order to keep your wicked and carnal heart from condemning you to eternal damnation on the day of judgment. What I'm talking about is the salvation that comes through the grace that Jesus will bestow because of a belief slash faith in him that has been established because God decided to gift you with that knowledge. As a last note, I want to talk about a point I made before once more. Just because you receive the salvation that we can find in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you're now some kind of saint that'll never commit another sin and you don't get any wicked thoughts or temptations to sin. Yes, your salvation has changed your inner man into the one that will find grace in the eyes of God. And that grace is what will save you from eternal damnation. But I want to caution anyone from thinking that they're any better than anyone else just because they call themselves Christian or because they believe that they've had a true conversion. As an exercise, think of the worst person you come think of the worst person you come across in your day-to-day -day conversations, business, work, although don't go judging people wrongly in this search. Um, all I mean is just find that person that you feel is worst in your interactions. And remember, remember this. 
that worst person, whatever their worst flaws may be, maybe they're annoying, maybe they bother you too much, maybe they talk too much, maybe they cuss too much, maybe they talk about inappropriate things too much, whatever it may be, just remember that without Jesus, without his blood, without him giving you the grace that saves you, you're just as rotten and wicked of a person as they are. And your flesh actually still is just as rotten. Your soul is the only thing that actually changed. Everything else on the outside is just an effect of that change. Now, what I'm trying to say with all this isn't to say something that's uh, going to put someone down, because this is actually a really good thing. This just means to say that, hey, just because you're still sinning, if you're a Christian, just because that you still have these wicked thoughts, just because that they, they enter into your mind, doesn't mean that you're lost, doesn't mean that you're bound for hell, doesn't mean that, oh, you need to get saved all over again. The Bible teaches that that can't happen. That's not something that happens. You can't crucify Jesus afresh. It doesn't work. What it means is that you still have work to be done and that God is faithful to continue the work that he started in you. So saying that, that just because you sin, that you're somehow a lost cause or anything of that nature, just to say that is, I believe, wrong in a lot of ways. I don't know, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. I feel like I need to just drive it home. What I'm trying to say here is that you can't go around thinking that you're, just because you're sinning, that you're not Christian, right? In my wife's family, there's a phrase that they say a lot. They say, oh, you need to get Christian, which I don't believe is the right way of looking at your life. I believe that if you're, if you say that you're Christian, if you say that Jesus has entered into your heart and that he's saved you, then you are. Being a Christian doesn't mean not sinning. Being a Christian means that you believe what the Bible says. If you believe what the Bible says, if you get a chastening in your heart whenever you do sin or when you get a thought of sin or whenever something like that enters into your mind, whether it be a, lascivi a lasciviousness thought or a thought of lasciviousness or whether it be a thought of anger, of hate, of something where it's, or maybe it's a desire, not just a thought, maybe it's a desire. If something like that comes into your mind and you don't get chastened, well, then there's something. You want to make sure that you're on the right side because you don't want your conscience to be burned with a hot iron, to be seared with a hot iron. You want to actually still get that chastening from the Lord. At that point, if you're still getting chastened, then that's a sign of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. That's what you need to look for. If you look at sin, what is clear sin, and you see or you feel a chastening, in your heart, your own heart. It's not like a an actual tangible feeling. It's more of a conviction, just something that makes you feel like, hey, this isn't right. This isn't something that I should be enjoying or participating in. That's when you know you still have God's grace overlooking you and telling you that you need to be careful. That's what you need to be looking for. That's the point I wanted to drive home because yes, the title of the post is your wicked and deceitful heart. Let's talk about that. But the end point is not that your heart is wicked, it's that there's enough grace to save you from your wicked heart. I hope I made that clear. I know I've been ranting a little bit. I know I kind of went freeform, even though from the start I said I didn't want to go freeform, but that's just the way it ended up. So with that, I'll just say God bless you. I hope this helped you. I, I still have my um, phone number and email up if you guys want to try and contact me. The phone number is 208-614-1466. The email is claudekereji at gmail.com. That's C-L-A-U-D-C-H-E-R-E-J-I at gmail.com. <laughs>